Hey, uh, why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, uh, you're going <laughs> to... That was very obedient of you, my goodness. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, you are going to love this message this morning. And then say to them, in fact, I brought you here just to hear it. <laughs> For you. No, come on. Come on. Who's excited to get around the Word of God this morning? I sure am. But who knows as well that it's for us, not just for the person sitting next to us. Sometimes it can be good to bring someone to hear something, you know. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's for us as well. So why don't we, why don't we pray before we start? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, we pray you come and speak to every one of us. We thank you that your word is for us to encourage us, to build us up, uh, and not just for the person sitting next to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Fantastic. We're in the middle of a series called The Grace Invasion. That's, it sounds exciting, doesn't it? The Grace Invasion. I don't know if it was coincidence or, or, or um, uh, what do you call it? controversial that it's, that it's Anzac Day and we're talking about something to do with an invasion, but uh, it's called The Grace Invasion invasion. I want to unpackage that for you a little bit before we start. What does grace even mean? Because I was talking to some friends of mine who weren't Christians. I said something about grace and they just looked at me blankly. And I said, oh, that must be a Christian word, you know, like Christianese. And, uh, and so I explained it to them. Basically, grace is just God's help. That's the simplest way that I've had it put to me. Grace is God's help. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. He's not obliged to give it to us, but because He loves us, He helps us. Someone say, help me. Come on. Now, I love the image that we get when we talk about the grace invasion. It's like this force from out of this world that is coming down and invading our lives. And it's as if God is relentlessly pursuing us with His grace and we learned last week that, in fact, His grace has been working in our life uh, since we were born, since before we were born, in all of our circumstances to lead us towards Him, even if we don't believe. And, and so this morning, I want to talk about the fact that when we face an invading force, the way I see it, uh, you have three options. You can, number one, you can run and hide away, which... If, let's, has anyone read Tomorrow When the War Began? They go camping and they come back and then the whole country's been taken over by some invading force and, and they decide we're going to be a guerrilla unit and fight it. <coughs> I don't think I would be one of those people. I think I would be one of the run and hide kind of people. And many of us have spent much of our lives running away from God's grace. I know our Pastor Vicky... Uh, will testify to the fact that for many years, if anybody said anything about Jesus, she would put her hand up and say, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it. But God's grace was pursuing her, and now she's the pastor of a church. God one, Vicky zero. <laughs> the second thing we do is we fight against God's grace. Many of us have fought God's grace because we don't want to admit that we aren't good enough to do it ourselves. We want to be involved. We want to do life in our own strength. And so we push against God's grace. 
The third thing you can do when you face an invading force is surrender. You can say, yes, God, I need your help. That's surrendering to God's grace, saying, I'm not good enough. I need your help. And here's the greatest thing about God's grace. If you surrender to God's grace, you aren't defeated and you don't become a prisoner of war, which are the standards of an invading force if you surrender. No, you come face to face with the invading force and they say, get down on your knees. You say, okay, I surrender. I'm not good enough to keep fighting this battle on my own. The soldiers lead you away and you expect that they're taking you to be whipped for all the wrongs that you've done and all the fighting you've been doing and all the resisting you've been doing. And so you ask the man who's leading you away, you say, how severe is the punishment? Because he used to be a guerrilla fighter. You know, so you say, how severe is the punishment? He says, very. But someone already took the punishment for you. He already paid the price. And his name is Jesus. So no, we're not taking you to be punished. We're taking you to be prepared. They lead you into the armory and they start handing you protective gear. You're thinking, I surrendered. I thought that was it. I thought that was the end. And they're telling you, no, no, this is just the beginning. They start giving you pieces of armory. They give you a belt of truth. They give you the breastplate of righteousness. They give you the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. They take you out. They train you. They take you out to fight alongside them. And you join the invading force which you've surrendered to. You become a grace invader. My message this morning is called Grace Invaders. I don't know if you've ever played that old game Space Invaders, but there is a force from out of this world that is coming down relentlessly. And I don't know, I, oh, I should have brought the screenshot, I didn't. I played it a little bit during the week just for research because, you know, <coughs> that's what you need to do when you're preparing for a message. I noticed they send down lightning bolts in classic fashion. You know the other thing that they shoot down at you? It's a cross. I looked at that and thought, wow. Anyway, that's just a side note. <laughs> I just thought, oh, that's kind of special. So, so you've surrendered. Not only has everything ended, you've become a grace invader. My prayer throughout this series is that we would stop running and see there is a relentless grace from heaven pouring down from heaven and working in our life. My prayer is that we would stop fighting and allow God's grace to empower us rather than trying to operate in our own strength. My prayer is that we would surrender and allow God's grace to transform us, to bless us, to guide us, to equip us, to empower us. My prayer is that we would be so filled with grace that it overflows into the lives of the people around you. And each one of us would not only receive and be filled with God's grace, but carry His grace into our world. As if... We have been overcome by the invading force. We've put on their colors and we've started fighting for them. I want to uh, show you some pictures, some logos this morning of companies. And I want, to get, I, want to, I, want to, I want you to be involved. So what I want you to do is as soon as a picture comes up on the screen, I'm going to say the company 
out loud for the people listening online, because sometimes there's lots. And hello, hello, you online. Oh, that was fun. So <coughs> we're going to put this, the, the logo up on the screen, and I want you to yell out, what is this what do they do? What do they make? What is their primary business? As soon as you, as soon as you think you know, you yell it out. So let's, let's start with the first one. Number one is Starbucks. Right. Very good. It's an easy game. Number two, Hungry Jacks. <laughs> We've got burgers and junk food. Good. I'm not sure Hungry Jacks would say, we make junk food. Nike. Shoes. Ikea. Furniture. BP. Petrol. Toyota. Very good. The church. What, what do we have? Grace makers, people, church, Jesus, disciples, Christians, love. What happened when I said Starbucks? You all said coffee. We didn't have a consensus on the church, did we? What are we here for? What are we doing? What do we make? What's our primary business? Dear Lord, help us. I believe one of the biggest problems in the church today is that we're all dressed up in our armor. We're all ready to go to battle. We don't know what the mission is. We've all heard the saying, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Am I right? We don't know what the main thing is. How are we supposed to keep the main thing the main thing if we don't know what the main thing is? Some of us know what the main thing is, or we think we know, and we think they should be doing it. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm not qualified. What about the church leaders should do it? Some of us know what the mission is, but we're convinced that we need to keep training to prepare. And we train and we train and we train until we've done so much training we start to believe that the training is the mission. No, you're training for the mission. The training is not the mission itself. I, I walked into Starbucks, whilst this is a theme, some years ago, and I picked up this book off the shelf they were selling it, and I opened it to the blurb, and I'm going to read the blurb to you now. It says this. On February 26, 2008, customers at 7,100 Starbucks stores in the U.S., were asked to leave. 7,100 customers were asked to leave. That's not great sort of customer service. For the next three hours, every barista in every Starbucks was retrained in the art of making the perfect espresso. The act was unprecedented, but proof of just how dire things were becoming at a company that once could do no wrong. Can anyone testify to the fact that the church is a much bigger organization than Starbucks? It has many more customers than Starbucks. It has greater resources than Starbucks. It is in more countries than Starbucks. And yet, the CEO of Starbucks came back. I bought that book based on that blurb. I thought, wow, 
oh my goodness, he's recognized there's a problem in his company and he, he, he retook over the company and this chronicles his journey trying to bring the whole company back to the core values to say, guys, this is what we're about. Coffee is what we're about. Unless we have good coffee, we don't have a reason to exist. I believe we need to do the same thing as the church. If coffee is Starbucks's one reason for existing, what is our one word as the church? What is the one thing that we do? What is our one word? It's good. You can keep, keep throwing them at me. We're going to discover together. We're going to find out together. In Hollywood, studios receive hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of screenplays each day. And so each screenplay is somewhere around 120 pages long. I don't know how fast you read, but I can't read 120 pages over and over again. If you, if you receive a thousand screenplays in a day, I can't read that. So if they read them all, they wouldn't ever make any movies. And so a common practice in Hollywood is to read the first 10 pages and then the last few pages. And from that, you know what's the premise of the movie, who's the main character at the beginning, where's the story headed, and then how has the world changed by the end of the movie? How has the hero changed? You can fill in the blanks and see if it's worth reading the other 100 pages. It takes all the fun out, but at least it gives you a picture of the core. If Hollywood was sent the story of Jesus as a screenplay, and they'd never heard the story before, they wanted to figure out, okay, what is the core of this story? First, they would find Jesus' personal mission to save mankind. But we can't save mankind. He's already done that. And so that doesn't help us find out what our mission is. Luckily, everyone knows that what Hollywood loves even more than a great best-selling book that you can turn into a movie is great best-selling books that you can turn into a franchise. And so when they go back to the source material to find the core of the franchise, here's the through line that I think they would find. Can you open that for me? Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, close to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Is this suspense building inside you? Like, ooh, I wonder what the word is. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to, be fish, how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. So at the beginning of his ministry, in the first sort of ten pages of the screenplay, Jesus calls a group of men to follow him. He promises to teach them how to fish for people. And then the Hollywood executives would flick through to the last few pages and they would find this. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Jesus is about to go back to heaven. He says one last thing. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now there's a franchise. There's sequel potential in that. 
isn't there? Jesus is going back to heaven. That's the end of one story. Like at Batman Begins, Batman's about to go off, you know, he's defeated the villain. And then <coughs> the police guy, Gary Oldman, whatever his name is, he says, oh, there's some other person causing a bit of trouble. Uh, he left, he just leaves Joker cards. And we're like, ooh, next movie. Here, you've got Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to heaven. Now I'm giving you guys the task. I've made you disciples. Now you go and make disciples. It's quite clear. In his book, The Lego Principle, Joey Bonifacio writes this. Jesus could have said, therefore, go and build strong marriages. Go and raise healthy families. He could have said, go and heal the sick. Go and care for the poor. He could have said, go and be a huge success. Amen. Or even go and plant churches. But he didn't, did he? What did he say? Go and make disciples. It's gone very quiet. That's the mission. What's the one word? Discipleship. Discipleship. Turn to the person next to you and say, discipleship. Ask the, ask the person on the other side, the better looking person. Uh, <coughs> no, you probably turned to the good looking one first, didn't you? Turn to them and say, why are we here? And then, and then answer the other person, discipleship. Discipleship is very simple. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. <coughs> it was so simple that Jesus could explain it in one sentence to a group of unschooled fishermen. He said, follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. He didn't say, let me take you on a fortnightly teaching session. He didn't say, we're going to start a program. He didn't say, here's your job description. He began a relationship. He said, come, follow me. Let's be in relationship with one another, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Joe Bonifacio says discipleship is relationship. Firstly, it's relationship with Jesus. Secondly, it's relationship with non-believers. Jesus, Jesus' disciples began a relationship with him before they believed. Thirdly, it's a relationship with other believers. You see, all of discipleship is made possible by God's grace. You don't need a theology degree to be a disciple, nor do you need one to make disciples. Jesus' first disciples certainly did not have a theology. Theo, theo, you don't even need to be able to speak properly. You can still make disciples. A theological degree. The, degree of theolo, theology. It's all right. The Holy Spirit will still do his work, even if I can't get the works out. Or words. <laughs> Discipleship is the simple act of becoming a follower of Jesus and helping others to do the same within the context of a relationship. It's the responsibility of every believer to be a disciple and to make disciples. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. And for whatever reason... God chose this strategy to reach the world. Jesus came to save the world. We came to tell the world. We're called to tell the world. You see, he could have just positioned angels all around the earth, just orbiting, broadcasting. Jesus is the Savior. 
accept him into your heart. But he didn't. He chose us. Paul's salvation story, he's walking along the road to Damascus, ready to go kill some Christians. The heavens open and Jesus speaks. And he says, Paul, I'm the one you're persecuting. And we, we start thinking, oh God, can you do that for my family and friends who don't know you? Can you do it that way? Because we think, oh, he just saved Paul supernaturally. No, he didn't. He said, I'm the one you're persecuting. Now, get up and go into the city, and there you'll be told what to do. He was blind. I thought Jesus, he was blinded by the light. I thought Jesus is the one who's meant to make blind eyes see. Well, the blind eyes do see, but only once he goes into the city and he meets another of Jesus' disciples and he shares the gospel with Paul and says, hey, this is what it means to follow Jesus. And he was quaking in his boots because he heard, uh, he heard Paul, uh, God speak to him in a vision, say, I want you to go and talk to this Christian killer. God, are you sure he's not still killing Christians? Go and do it. Are you sure? <laughs> Even the most supernatural conversions in the New Testament, God still uses people to communicate the gospel. Why am I preaching on this? We're supposed to be doing Galatians because after Paul is saved, he does three things. Watch what he does. He becomes a believer. Look what he does next. First, he goes to Arabia and he takes time out with God to build his relationship with Jesus. Second, he preaches to the Gentiles, which forms his relationship with non-believers. And third, he gets to know the other apostles and confirms his gospel with them, his relationship with other believers. You know, there is so much to be said about discipleship. There's so much to be learned. Uh, so we're going to do it all this morning. So just lock the doors. <coughs> no, we don't have the time. But I'm praying and believing that this is just the beginning. This is, the this is the beginning of a journey. Because discipleship is a journey. It's not a destination. It's walking with Jesus. And so I want to finish by asking you these questions to get us started. How, how's your relationship with God at the moment? Has the work of the Lord become more consuming than the Lord of the work? How's your relationship with non-Christians? You sort of nod to them as they walk past on the street and that's it. It's not a great relationship. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Are we? Are you? Are you helping others become followers of Jesus? He's getting ready to be dedicated. How's your relationship with other believers? Are you helping other believers come closer to Jesus? What relationship could you invest in this week? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray as we finish. I'd like to with you this morning pray for someone in your life who doesn't know Christ, doesn't have a relationship with Him. Let's pray for them together. So why don't you just think of that, that person and why don't you close your eyes let's pray. Father, I know sometimes love it if you just opened the heavens and spoke to them yourself but the fact of the matter is you've chosen us and so father we 
We want to obey your call. We want to follow you. We want to learn to be fishers of men. We want to do it in the context of relationship with other believers. It's that person on our heart at the moment who doesn't know you. Father, we pray you would give us opportunities to strengthen our relationship with them so that we can show care and love to them, for them. Father, we pray that if they're ever in a time of need, that they know that our relationship with them is strong enough that they can come to us and say, hey, can you help me with this? Is this something you've got? Father, we pray that in that moment that you would give us courage to share with them the greatest help we can give people. It's your help. It's your grace. And we will carry your grace with us always. Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray right now of those three relationships. Pray you'd inspire us to move deeper, move closer in relationship with you. Father, we pray for a heart for the lost. We pray for confidence to disciple other believers. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you just take a seat just quickly. I've got one more thing to do. And then we're going to hand over to the pastors and they're going to dedicate the bejesus out of these babies. I don't know if that's sacrilegious. I'm not very religious, so I don't know what's right and wrong in that respect. <coughs> I want to give you an opportunity this morning. If you're here and and God's grace has been working in your life, maybe you haven't seen it before, maybe you haven't seen it until now, and you're at a place where you would like to surrender yourself to Jesus, where you want to ask Him to come into your heart, where you want to say, I want to follow you, Jesus. You know, that is the best decision you could ever make. You know, when you surrender to an invading force, your life is kind of over. And, uh, and it's no longer your own. It becomes someone else's. They become your captors, if you like. You're, n- you're, n- you're no longer in charge of your life. Your life, your world completely changes when it's taken over by the invader. You see, the, the, the same is actually true of when God invades your life. The difference is that unlike an invading force, he doesn't come with force and bash down the doors. He knocks at the door. But if you choose to open the door and welcome him into your life, it's true. Your life is no longer your own. You're no longer in charge. You're putting him in charge. And your world completely changes when he takes over. But it's not the negative kind of change you would expect from a regular invading force. It's the kind of change where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords loves you so much that he wants to fill every area of your life with peace and joy and love and kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. He wants to fill you. He wants to walk with you. So this morning, I believe Jesus is calling. He's saying, hey, follow me. Follow me. If you're here this morning and you want to answer that call and say, I want to follow Jesus, 
going to give you an opportunity to respond in just a minute. But can I just ask people to close their eyes and bow their heads so that no one's looking around. If that's you here this morning and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to ask you to just put your hand up so I can see it and I'll acknowledge that I've seen it. And we can pray a prayer together to ask Him to come into your heart, commit you to follow Him. Is there anyone here this morning that wants to do that? Maybe you have followed Jesus in the past and you've walked away. And you want to come back to him this morning and say, Jesus, I want to follow you once again. He welcomes you with open arms. If that's you here this morning, would you put your hand up and say, I want to follow Jesus. Fantastic. You can open your eyes. Awesome. 